exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. This is Emmanuel Berry subbing for Emily Fox, and you are listening to Impact Exposure on 89FM. Today we have a great show lined up for you. Emily will interview Top Chef contestant Ariane Duarte about cooking for the college student. You also hear an interview with NBC reporter Rahea Ellis about Education Nation, a week-long report about the education crisis in America. Later, will we talk? Later, we will talk about TEDx Detroit. Emily interviews Charlie Wahlberg, one of the organizers for TEDx Detroit. In addition, you will hear me interview Michigan State University visual journalism professor Carl Goode, who will be speaking at TEDx Detroit tomorrow. And you will hear a phone interview with John Hill, head of the MSU Alumni Foundation, who will also present at TEDx. So we have a great show coming up, but first, the news. In local news, hundreds of high school students from across Michigan gathered at the Capitol today. They were joined by Hispanic leaders and state lawmakers to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. Students began the day listening to an address by Speaker Juan Andrade. Uh, Festivities continued on the Capitol lawn where lunch and cultural activities took place. Hispanic Heritage Month is celebrated nationally from September 15th through October 15th. In national news, an armed man wearing a ski mask opened fire inside a University of Texas Austin library this morning, then fatally shot himself. According to police, no other injuries were reported. Police ended their search for a possible second suspect early in the afternoon, saying they believed the gunman had acted alone. While police secured the area, campus was locked down, but the lockdown was lifted later this afternoon. In world news, hundreds are feared dead in Mexico due to a landslide. Officials said at least seven people are confirmed dead and hundreds are missing in a rural Mexican community in northern Oaxaca. Over a foot of rain has fallen on the Mexican state of Oaxaca in the past two weeks, causing local rivers to flood. One large hill was undercut by flooding, causing it to collapse and the mud and earth to flow over the streets and homes in the valley below. Military and naval units, state police, and rescue workers are traveling to the site in hope of rescuing those trapped. And now, a report from Emily, who interviewed former Top Chef contestant Ariane Duarte about cooking for the college student. Known as Ariane Duarte, she is a former Top Chef contestant, as well as a blogger on dinnertool.com, and she's on the phone to talk about food and cooking for college students. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Emily. So what foods are good for better academic success and why? Well, well we, you know, we, uh, we're talking about our omega-3s. Um, we call them our brain foods. And, uh, you know, some, of, some foods that we really know um, and we hear about a lot are our salmon, our blueberries, our walnuts. And basically what this does, eating these and putting these into our diet, um, you know, have been proven to increase brain function and improve our memory, stabilize our blood sugar, um, and just enhance our overall mood. 
And so let's say a lot of college students, when they feel like their energy is lacking, they want to concentrate more, either they'll you know, have sugar or they'll have caffeine usually. So do you think that eating things like blueberries and salmon will, will help prevent them from needing to go to that caffeine? I, I don't know so much about preventing. Um, I just think if they, um, you know, a, a cup of coffee, what student isn't going to have coffee or a Red Bull to get them through the day? However, I think if you put these things into your diet, you start eating right, start eating healthy, maybe have a great shake, uh, you know, a blueberry yogurt, getting your protein in there. Um, and, you know, I think if they can incorporate some really great meals into their diet, I, I believe that there will definitely be an overall, um, you know, they'll feel better. And they will definitely, you know, that means that their, their brain will function there. And then that means their memory can get better. And I just think it's all incorporating into the diet. But I don't think uh, I mean, living on coffee and, and Coca-Cola or whatever, yeah, is that the right thing to do? Absolutely not. We really want to encourage them to get these great foods into their diet. So do you have any suggestions for some easy, fairly reasonably priced and healthy recipes college students um, should know about? Well, I, ju I think, um, first of all, uh, on the website, on dinnertool.com, there are some great, great easy recipes, and they you can type in, um, you know, uh, no-cook, um, you know, like a no-cook meal and or just hit chicken, and then it'll come up with hundreds of different recipes. But some just simple, simple things. I mean, you, you can – I don't know how much access um, students have in college um, to cooking, but you know what? Maybe getting a blender and making some great shakes, using avocados and making some wonderful salads, um, you know, even canned black beans and creating a great, um, you know, chili in a crock pot. Um, using some grass-fed meats instead of, um, you know, meat that, you know, just regular beef or regular pork. You want to have them grass-fed. This way they're, um, they do have the beef and our, the pork have omega-3s in them. Um, you know, salmon, of course, is always a great one. And, and I was noticing, because for the first time I'm living off campus, so I'm having to cook for myself, and I've been thinking to myself, okay, I need to have like a, a set of recipes that are my go-to, and I saw on uh, dinnertool.com, in which you're a blogger for, um, like you said, they, they have up on the, I think the top left corner, you have meal ideas in which you can enter ingredients that you want in there, you can um, click a cuisine type and diet restrictions, um, and you can mark different, different categories such as easy or fast or you're on a budget or healthy, so I thought that was very interesting and very helpful. It re it's a, it's, I have to say, I, you know, I'm very proud to be a part of um, the website. I just think it is great. Um, you know, right now we're working with Omega-3s. We really do. We change it up a lot. I blog twice a month, so you will see on the, on the website now there will be a recipe um, uh, using a lot of Omega-3s, like a whole dinner um, using a lot of Omega-3s. Um, but, yeah, like you said, it's, um, it, it really gears for everybody and it is simple i mean it'll plan your whole meal for the entire week and do your shopping list no <laughs> that's nice that? 
So, so Arian Duarte, I know you were a contestant on the top um, on the Top Chef, and uh, you own your own restaurant. And I'm sure you know cooking is definitely something you've probably always had a huge interest in. But I know some college students that are kind of afraid of the idea of cooking. It's something that's very foreign to them. What advice would you have for college students that are kind of they 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 don't know much about cooking? I I think um, you know. I think starting simple, um, figuring out what you like, and maybe starting with one simple recipe, and then, you know, building your repertoire, and using a site like dinnertool.com, or even going on to the, you know, to the TV. We have, there's so many cooking shows right now that you can watch that really gear towards, um, you know, beginners, and just um, starting off. I mean, on my, on on Dinner Tool, I actually have videos that will teach you how to slice and dice, help you um, create your pantry. So you can check out the site and really start there, and then you build your pantry. And like I said, you figure out what you like. And then from there, maybe you throw in, you have like some uh, something sitting in the fridge, and you kind of add it to it. Or having something sitting in the fridge and then maybe you go to dinner tool and you create, you click on, like, I got broccoli. Ah, I don't want to just make plain old broccoli. And, and, and starting there. And what are your go-to foods? Uh, I'm a big pasta. We're big, you know, we're Italian, so we eat a lot of, uh, you know, gravy, meatballs, pasta here. Uh, but my go-to food, you know what, I am, I'm actually getting on the omega-3 kick. I'm eating a lot of fish, a lot more fish in my diet, a lot of lean, leaner meats. Um, you know, I eat my fruit in the morning. I, you know, it's tough, especially being in the food business. You know, we are surrounded by food, food so, you know, putting a grasp and just kind of, um, you know, just... Not eating everything and just, uh, you know, tasting. But the kid, my kids eat very well. Um, we do a lot of, um, you know, roasted chicken and things. We're very simple. We're very simple. That's surprising. We're not creating gourmet, gourmet meals every day at home. Well, that's, I thought you'd say something really extravagant with all your experience. I but. know. No, unfortunately, no. I do, that, I, I do that five days a week. So. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Well, on the phone is Ariane Duarte. She's a former Top Chef contestant as well as a blogger on dinnertool.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Emily. It was a pleasure. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sitter Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure.
You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and on the phone is Rahema Ellis. She is an NBC News correspondent who reports on Education Nation, which is a week-long program looking at education in America, and that's featured all week on NBC. Welcome to the show, Rahema Ellis. Thank you so much, Emily. So why is education an important topic to cover right now? Well, being in Michigan at Michigan State University, I think you probably know this better than I do, but we're in a sad state here in the United States. We, you know, we used to be number one in the world in graduating kids from high school. We're now number 19 or 20 out of 30 industrialized states in in terms of graduating our kids from high school. 68% of our eighth graders do not read at grade level. We used to be number one in graduating kids from college. We've now dropped to number 11 or 12. Those are not admirable statistics. You don't want to take and you can't brag about that kind of thing. And when we're not number one or if we're not leading the world in terms of educating kids and instead we're coming up in the bottom third of these statistics, it says something about where we might be heading in the future, and that is most important in terms of how we're going to work, what kind of society we're going to be. An educated nation is vital in this 21st century if you're going to be competing on a global scale. And so that's one of the reasons why NBC has said we've got to come front and center and put this issue in front of our viewers in all of America and say, wake up, everybody, take a look at what's going on here. You might not want to know this, but these are some really important pieces of information to be aware of. I mean, even when you think about, again, our kids, 33% of fourth graders, only 33% of fourth graders in the latest test were proficient or better in reading. 33%. That's it. And that's not a good statistic as we think about how we are going to compete with people who are doing so much better. So starting on Sunday... You'll see a variety of programs across all NBC platforms, from the Today Show to Meet the Press to MSNBC, online. All of our platforms are going to be focused with laser focus on this issue to say to folks, take a look at where we are, and let's talk about where we want to be and how we can get there. Now, you reported on um, a documentary called Waiting for Superman. Um, What was the most eye-opening or interesting things that you discovered while reporting um, on that documentary? For me, I've been focusing on education for the last two and a half years. That's what I have been concentrating my reporting on. I do other things, but education I've seen is really important. And when I watched that movie, I said, in two hours, they told people what we have been telling people in two-minute stories over the last two and a half years. And that is some of the grim statistics that I just told you about. Now and it is, it's gripping. Are there any innovative things that, that, that schools are doing that you will be highlighting this week on Education Nation? Oh, absolutely. They, we have, there's a, there are uh, 21st century classrooms. There's a school called the School of One, and they make an intense use of technology, and sh- not just smart boards, but every kind of technology you can imagine to say, because we know our kids are engaged in a lot of things. And so this initiative is saying, let's go where kids are. Kids today are not kids from 50 years ago. They're kids who are highly motivated and highly stimulated. So let's stimulate them in a 21st century style. And so people are going to get a chance to see um, online and to see those who visit New York. There will be a walkway, and you will see how classrooms are making use 
of high-tech, fast-paced technology, and the kids are just whizzes at keeping up with it. It excites them, it exhilarates them, and it gives them a terrific way to learn. Now, my last question for you is um, there recently was a report that came out that said that Michigan State University ranked, I believe, number four in the nation for public um, universities in which the graduation gap between whites versus um, Hispanics and black students was the largest. Um, So through your reporting and from what you've seen, do you see a large racial inequality when it comes to education, even at its earliest levels? Well, unfortunately, yes. And it starts at the very early ages, you know. Children from low-income families, unfortunately, enter school and enter first grade at a huge disadvantage, having been read to only 25 hours versus 1,000 hours for children from middle families. So, yes, and that can't continue. And when we talk about educating our children, it doesn't just start when you put them into the classroom. It's got to start before then, and parents really have to step up to the plate and do their part. A parent should never be surprised by their child's report card. And the reason why they should never be surprised is because they should be partnering with their school and with their teacher from day one, from August and September, as our children start school in this fall season, to know your child's teacher to know what's happening in the school, to communicate with them on a regular basis. So when that report card comes home, it will just be an affirmation to you of what you know your child has been doing for those several weeks leading up to that. And so that's one of the reasons that, to your question of why we see this achievement gap, we have not been partnering, I think, in a good way in some places with our children, with our teachers and with our schools, and that's got to change. And we're hoping that we're going to be able to encourage and incentivize a lot of people by the kind of information that we share with them on Education Nation about how you can do this. And it doesn't have to be hard, even for parents like myself who are busy, tired, stressed. There's still something we can do every single day to help our child to be better educated and and in being better educated to have a better future. Well, on the phone is Rahema Ellis. She is an NBC News correspondent who will be reporting on Education Nation all week featured on NBC. Thanks so much for joining us today. A real pleasure, Emily. Thank you. All right, thanks. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. All the gamers look at you as a gang member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, the Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. 
You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and on the phone is Charlie Wolberg. He is one of the organizers for TEDx Detroit, which will be held this Wednesday at the Detroit Institute of Arts. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. So I guess for our listeners, can you just kind of give us a background on what is TED and what is TEDx? Well, TED is my uncle. No, just kidding. Uh, TED actually started back in 84, and it's this really exclusive con- uh, conference out in Monterey, and the TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And the thought was those are three fields that impact innovation in the rest of the economy. So for 25 years or so, they've been having these great conferences out in California to the point where it's a sold-out show. You have to be invited, and no one could ever get in. And they've been sharing all these TED Talks uh, online for years, and they've uh, been seen 219 million times now online. So they realized they had something good, and last year they expanded TED to the local markets with what's called the TEDx program. And the first TEDx Detroit was last year. And since we've had a TEDx U of M, a TEDx Lansing, which was a phenomenal event at the Wharton Center, and now this is the second uh, TEDx Detroit. We have TEDx Grand Rapids coming up and TEDx Flint coming up. So it's nice to see uh, these big ideas uh, flow around Michigan. So can you talk about the other events that are coming up? Do you know when TEDx Flint and Grand Rapids will be? Uh, TEDx Flint will be happening in the middle of October. And uh, TEDx Grand Rapids will be next spring. And I'm sure we'll have another TEDx Lansing about that time as well. Now, who who will be speaking at um, TEDx Detroit on Wednesday, and, and who are you really excited about? I'm pretty excited about all of them. We have uh, over 20 speakers, and it's the nice thing about TED is you'll have a gee whiz speaker showing off some cool new technology, and then you'll have this uh, completely opposite right brain speaker talking about something very inspiring. So it really uh, it, it's a full brain spa, if you will. Uh, one of our, our speakers, Jeff Horse, has developed a, um, a technology that turns dirty water into biofuel. Uh, and then an, another speaker, Jocelyn Riney, talks about taking inner city kids to study in Paris and Milan and Shanghai and, and take the inner city to, to art capitals around the world. Uh, it's just all over the board. We have uh, entrepreneurs and, and, and seasoned CEOs that are at the top of their game, like like Dan Gilbert of Quicken Loans. And then you have a 13-year-old boy named Will Smidlin who doesn't need to wait for a degree to start going, and he's started his own business. So we're really seeing all different walks of life and all different types of, of inspiration and inspiring stories. Now, where do you find all of these speakers with all these stories? Well, I have a large bag where I keep interesting folks. <laughs> uh, now, we... Uh, we curated it carefully through uh, going to cool hunters that we know around town. So we had a real big team put this together, and basically we asked them, who inspires you, who do you want to see, who has an idea we're spreading. And that, the whole tagline of, of the TED conference originally was ideas we're spreading. And for TEDx Detroit, our theme is positive ideas for the world from Detroit. All the time we're hearing about all the things going wrong in Michigan. But every day there are a million great little stories happening that don't see the light of day. And TEDx Detroit really is shining a light on those things that, that need more attention. 
Now, since TED or TEDx has been around, do you think that all of these speakers that come and they present at these wonderful conferences, do you think that that has actually made an impact, let's say, you know, the TEDx events to the local communities that people really catch on to those ideas or, or nationally or globally that, that these speakers come, um, many people watch the, these videos on YouTube, and do you think that things really have caught on? Absolutely. There, there is a, a, a palpable buzz when you get that many cool people in a room together. One of the mantras of TED is the people sitting next to you are as, as interesting as the people on stage. So there are a lot of breaks and a lot of networking. And the business connections that come out, the collaborations that come out of these events are invaluable. We've had uh, entrepreneurs come up and, and talk about their idea and then hook up with a venture capitalist or a partner that can make those ideas happen. So, yes, it does end up being a springboard for existing ideas, but also a catalyst for new ideas to start out. Now, what is, what is your background, and how did you get in, involved in organizing TEDx Detroit? I drew the short straw. <laughs> uh, I've run a advertising and marketing firm in Detroit for about a dozen years, and I've been a fan of the, the TEDx talks uh, on YouTube. And when they opened up the local program last year, I raised my hand, and I thought I'd be part of a, a big group doing it, and uh, I was the only person who raised my hand at first. So we've, we've built a, a really solid team since, but uh, I was kind of surprised it fell in my lap. Now, I understand that this event on Wednesday, um, it's, it's, it's going to be a fairly small audience, um, but in order to have been, um, to be able to go, you either had to be invited or fill out an application. Um, talk a little bit about that. That goes back to the TED philosophy that the people in the audience should be as cool as the people on the stage. <laughs> so they always have that curated uh, audience component on it. And, you know, you have to really want it. They're, the events are uh, by donation only. So this is a way to kind of uh, put in a little sweat uh, to, to prove your worthiness to be in the audience. And who's going to benefit from those donations? Well, we're, we're benefiting three different groups this year. Uh, our main partner this year, again, is Public Artworks, which teaches technology and fine art to kids in the inner city. We'll also be supporting Make Loveland, uh, or just Loveland, which uh, funds micro art projects in the community, and a group called Joy Box Express, which is supporting music education. And talk about what, what is the application process like for those that um, were able to uh, come to the event um, that will be happening on Wednesday? Well, some of the questions we ask is what inspires them, what would be their big idea they'd want to share, uh, list books that inspire you, list websites that you read daily, and try and give us a biographical sketch of why you're a cool person who should be in that room. So if people can't, uh, cannot attend this event, um, how else can they see it? Will it be available on YouTube? Yeah, one of the great things about uh, a TEDx program is they encourage all the organizers to film their talks. So we have a full television crew coming from Wayne State University who's hosting this year, and they'll be uh, filming it with a four-camera setup, and those videos will be edited up and placed on YouTube on the TEDx channel where you can go and watch them from anywhere in the world. And what are your hopes for this event? I hope one good idea sees the light of day, that this is, this is the magnifying glass that amplifies a little spark and to become a mighty flame. And if we keep doing these events around the state and in the city, 
it creates a, a momentum of, of positive energy, of new ideas, of fresh thinking. Ford, GM, and Chrysler are not going to save the state of Michigan. They're always going to be a part of us. But these next ideas in the TEDx rooms are where the future of Michigan lies. Well, I'm curious how different all the various TEDx events are across the nation, because when you think about Michigan, um, you, I mean, having TEDx events in Flint and Lansing and especially Detroit, where a lot of the news has been hit in the past year, a lot of negative press, um, I wonder how much different these TEDx events are in cities like that where you really need to make an effort to have change. Um, so talk about the importance of having TEDx in Detroit um, and, and the impact that it may have. Well, I think TEDx Detroit, we were one of the, the first local events to, to get started and for people to say, look, wait a minute, there are new ideas coming out of Detroit. We're not just the Motor City, that that's one uh, facet of who we are. Uh, but if you, we look at the TEDx program in general, we've had TEDx uh, programs in tent cities in, in the poorest regions of Africa. We've had uh, them in just about every continent of the world. And then we've launched special um, specialty TEDx programs, if you will, like TEDx NASA, where they brought in people with new ideas for space exploration. Uh, we just had TEDx Change, which brought in new ideas for education. We've had TEDx uh, Oil Spill, which happened in Washington, D.C. in the spring, talking about ways we can get rid of the, the problems in the Gulf. So TEDx has really become... Uh, a bigger idea for a way to shine a light on important ideas. Well, best of luck for Wednesday. Again, for a listener, I'm talking with Charlie Wolborg. He is one of the organizers for TEDx Detroit, which will be held on Wednesday at the Detroit Institute of Arts. Thank you so much for joining us today, Charlie. Thank you so much. Keep creating. All right. Thank you. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893 and now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to Exposure here on 89FM, The Impact. Emmanuel Berry here, subbing for Emily Fox. So you just heard an interview with uh, TEDx Detroit organizer, Charlie Walborg. Uh, and now we're going to be speaking to Carl Good, uh, TEDx speaker this year. Carl Good has been visualizing information for years until recently. Um, he was the director of information graphics for Newsweek. Now he teaches at Michigan State University, uh, teaching students how to visualize the news. So thank you, Carl, for coming on our show today. This is great. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too. Um, so we are just listening about TEDx Detroit. So we kind of have a an understanding of what it is, but 
How would you define the TED Talks or the TED Talks, at least in Detroit? Something that makes me a nervous wreck is my first thought. And, um, you know, it's from a speaker's point of view, it's it's one of these situations where they want you to be. Um, I think the, the the bigger TED, it's the big TED. The TEDx means the littler ones yeah. that are <laughs> regional. The big TEDx, the big TED conference, they, I heard that they just basically asked people to be compelling and to teach them, teach people something that they're going to walk away with and be informed about, um, be personal, tell personal stories. If you cry on stage, they'll love you. So anything <laughs> that makes you look human passes a message along and um, is compelling, like where people are really going to be enthralled by what you're telling them. Those are the things they want you to do, and it's, it's a lot to ask. So um, you've already been at, you've already spoken at uh, TEDx Lansing. Now you're going to be speaking at Detroit tomorrow, correct? I am tomorrow, eleven thirty or something. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So uh, why exactly were you chosen as a speaker? Or is it just you're so compelling? Or <laughs> I guess I was. I guess I was pretty compelling. I was. You know, I. Um, I. I. You know. I like to be to have a lot of fun when I'm up, up on stage and when I'm talking and or when I'm teaching. Um, I even like to have a lot of fun when I'm working in a place like Newsweek. You know, keep the serious level down to a minimum. Yeah. And so, I think that one of the things that I brought to that I did in TEDx Lansing that they liked that, that you know Charlie was there, so he invited me to Detroit. Was was that I was, you know, I was I was I was, a, I, was a lot, I got a lot of laughs and I was fun and you know I think it, I'm probably wrong about this, but I think it was Walt Disney who said that he'd rather entertain people and hope they learn something than to lecture to them and hope they're entertained. So I like to have a lot of fun up there and put out a lot of material, um, poke a lot of fun at myself, and get a lot of laughs. And and uh, and visualization is sort of the new buzzword right now. Yeah. And, I mean, you came out uh, with your Lansing TED Talk. You put a teacup on the stage. I did. <laughs> you walked over to the corner, uh, grabbed a fireman's hat and a hose, and started talking. I mean, that that's pretty entertaining. I look me. pretty cool <laughs> in that fireman's hat, you know. Um, it's true, I did, because... Um, a Dil there was a Dilbert cartoon that said um, something like, information is coming at us with the force of a, uh, a fire hose pointed at a teacup, and which means basically our brains can't absorb that kind of information. You know, there aren't enough servers to store all the data being collected. So visualization is one way that we can use to try to make sense of all that data and information because we can see something very quickly and scan it. And so, yeah, I, I decided to just illustrate his point, and I actually went to the East Lansing, you can actually, I think you can find this online. If you look at the TEDx Lansing talks, you'll see it. But I actually went to uh, the East Lansing Fire Department. They were so nice to actually pull a big truck out and give me a real fire hose and point it at a teacup and blow that thing away. I mean, it smashed it into pieces. And I only wish that the fire hose I had on stage at the Wharton Center for the TED, TEDx really Lansing worked. was a real hose <laughs> pointed at the audience. I was, I was thinking of dripping a little water at the tip just to freak people out, but, you know. That would have been bad. <laughs> so, do you have any uh, plans for costumes or teacups up your at your upcoming talk tomorrow? No, no costumes this time. There was no real good quote, you know. Um, you know, the, the the one the talk the first talk I did here in Lansing was just trying to get people who wouldn't normally be visualize information like with charts and maps and diagrams and that sort of thing. They just sort of like to write words and think that words solve all problems. Like you know, four hundred word blogs. Oh my God, yeah. people are going to love my blog. <laughs> um, if they stop long enough to look at the first paragraph. Um, so I was just trying to get people to drink the Kool-Aid. There are a lot of tools out there that you can use to visualize this stuff, and it's never been easier. And so I guess in 
in Detroit, what I'm going to do is like assume, okay, so now I've got you, gotten you to drink the Kool-Aid and now you want to do this. Well, so now what, you know, what do I do now? And so I'm going to give them some tips and, you know, give them, and it's going to be fun. I, I poke a lot of fun at myself. Good. So laughs coming for sure. I, I hope so. You can never guarantee a laugh. Matter of fact, it's nothing worse than saying what you thought was the funniest thing I ever said on the, in the entire history of the world. And everybody just stares at you with a blank look. Yeah, it's, I know that feeling. It's just like <laughs> thunk your stomach, you know. So you're not going to go specifically into information graphics, but you clearly have a passion for uh, the idea of expressing things visually. Why do you think it's important to express things in this way besides just the standard uh, writing? Well, you know, um, it's not just writing. It's also spreadsheets. You know, when there's just tons of data, spreadsheets and words, um, you know, uh, it, it, you can actually, if you visualize some of that data, like in a spreadsheet, you might find that, you know, this line is going up and this one's going down. Now, why is that going down? So you can actually find ways to, you can combine data sets to actually an find opportunities for analysis and learning and say, wow, just looking at a big list of numbers, you won't get that. And, you know, I've always been an artist. I'm an illustrator and a painter and all that sort of stuff and a cartoonist. But, but I also love data and information. And so... Um, I like to, uh, you know, I'd rather draw how to throw a split-fingered fastball than explain it to somebody. You yeah. see, you, you hold the laces with your middle finger while the other one is leaning around the top at around 12 o'clock, and then your thumb goes around about 3 o'clock. Nobody can get that, but you yeah. draw it instant. It's instant. You get it. And it's kind of like even your presentation at Lansing TEDx, you were visualizing the information of the comic book even in a different way, a further level. Yeah, I guess so. You can say, imagine me <laughs> in a fireman's outfit. Yeah. Like, I'm holding a hose and pointing it at you. You know, it's just not as fun as walking out pointing a hose at everybody. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's just so much more impact. Nope. That 89 FM. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. It's fine. <laughs> See, that was funny. You're going to be See, that, that, be that was really tomorrow. funny. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more impact, 89 FM. Okay. All right. Um, so the reason you have so much experience and knowledge about vis visualizing information is because you work for Newsweek, which I mentioned earlier, um, as a director of graphics there. What was the typical workday for you working at a uh, well, huge magazine? Well, you know, I, I was I was there for ten years, and I was and I, that was I was in New York doing journalism for twenty seven. So you know, the Associated Press and a lot of places, and basically. You, you. No, there's that word again. In a way, you were like a fireman. You were, you went to work really not knowing what you were going to do because news happens all the time. And so you might think you're going to work on something you heard on the radio, um, and it turns out uh, it, something completely different. You know, for example, the the day of the World Trade Center, we were going to work on a diabetes cover. I think. Yeah, it didn't happen. And it, you know what? It didn't happen. Um, you know, it just didn't happen. We worked on a lot of. That was a big story. Yeah. You know, it's kind of story that, you know, as a journalist, you feel like you've been training for your whole career to, to cover that story. So a very kind of, would you say hectic a little bit then, I guess? Or? But it was wonderfully hectic. I'm probably ADD in <laughs> so many ways. And I, I, I uh, you know, I've never been to college. I'm just a high school graduate. And so I, I, my grades were terrible and they hadn't discovered, like, meds back then. And so I was, I, you know, I, I probably... Um, would have been able to focus better had I been diagnosed. But, but you know, I, so I needed an environment that was really going to keep my brain occupied. And New York City does that. It's yeah. a really powerfully intense city. Journalism does that because it's deadlines and 
really exciting stuff. You know, I, I love the breaking news the best. The bigger the story, the better. Um, the tragedies were horrible. You know, I, I went out to cover the Oklahoma City bombing, and you know, and I did break down in tears at one point in, out there. And and but your when your emotions are just pushed as far as possible, when you're that deep into the the human experience as journalists tend to get, yeah, um, it's really a lot better than watching it on TV. For sure. So you no longer work at Newsweek. You've decided no. to join us here at Michigan State University, um, and you're teaching classes about the future journalists of America. Yes. About visualizing... <laughs> Some of them. In <laughs> yeah, you can't teach everyone, unfortunately. Yeah. About um, visualizing information. So what type of things are you doing in your classes? Uh, well, you know... Um, we just started a new class, which which is uh, I, I I thought that all journalists, whether they were into visualization or d design or art or illustration or not, should know how to visualize content from their stories, the topics they were covering, including a reporter who's writing something. So, luckily, there are a lot of free tools out there that people can, or open source they call it, tools that people can just download and use to. Um, to visualize. So if you're a writer and you're writing a story and you really want to make a chart to go with your story to, to illustrate a point you're making, you can just uh, download this and pop the data and boom, and there it is, and then embed it next to your story uh, or print it in your magazine or, or, or newspaper. So there are a lot of these sorts of things out there that they can use. And so w w the, way, the, way, the way the Internet has go is going, the way that things are now, anyone can do this. So it's just the guy, guys like me who basically used to sit in an art department and have a reporter go come in and say, I need a chart. Those yeah. days are kind of gone. <laughs> you know, the reporter can do it himself for herself, and yeah. it's just the way it is. And so, But they need to learn how to do that. So this one class that has 150 students uh, is now a new required course for journalists uh, are learning how to use all of these different things, to, including video, uh, edit video, do, do photo narratives uh, where they, they actually speak and, and narrate a photo slideshow. You know, charts, maps, uh, data maps, GIS, all of that visual stuff, uh, just to help them tell stories. It's all about storytelling. Yeah. So a little bit of everything there, and it's a it's a hodgepodge. And you know, you know, you want it, You want to know as if if everybody just experiences a little bit of everything, it'll it'll allay their fear. Right. And when people are scared, they don't want to try a piece of software so that yeah. they just sort of go, oh, my God, oh, my God, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't even want to try. But, you know, doing <laughs> push the, them out there on the you, edge. It, it pushes might, them out on the yeah. edge and says, do this or you're going to get an F. You're going <laughs> to fail. You have to do this. And so they do it. And, you know, the the, the fact is they realize how it is, easy it is. Yeah. And, and once they have a little bit of, you know, it's like once you learn one video software, just it's a little bit different on the little next bit one. Different. But yeah. you always get it because you have, like, that backup knowledge there. And, and there's nothing greater in life. I think than than um, than growing in some way, and when you and and growth comes from, you know, from confronting your fears and and pushing beyond them, and so so when when somebody does something, it's just like you're 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 a six year old again. Look what I did, mommy. <laughs> yeah. You know, look what I did, and you feel great about it, and there's this great sense of accomplishment even for the smallest thing. So in addition to teaching this class, uh, you also. Took a trip abroad with students to Spain this year to teach more about information graphics. Yeah, but eso es porque hablo español completamente, ciento por ciento hablo español. Right. I, I'm fluent in <laughs> Spanish, but that's because my mother was Colombiana and my I look I look like a Norwegian dude because my dad was Norwegian, but my mother was from Bogota. But, but yeah, the Spaniards are really good at this. Um, they are the masters of visualizing information. They sort of can mix creativity with it sometimes, where. 
um, you sort of get very unexpected results. And I know a lot of people over there because uh, we belong to the same group, you know, the Society for News Design. And so, and I've done a lot of teaching and lecturing over in Spain. So I have a lot of contacts over there that, that are actually gold medal winners uh, for the international competitions for visualizing graphics. And they, my, they treat my students like they're just gold. And how great is that? Yeah. So we have full access to a lot of places. Um, we travel a lot and it's just a fun time and we learn a lot too. Do you have a favorite memory or a day trip experience in Spain? Yes. The, as, I do. The, as much as I plan these trips, and Cheryl Pell is the other instructor on these trips. She's also in the School of Journalism. The, as much as we plan these trips, it's the unplanned things that can tend to be the most fun. Um, we were at a place called El Escorial, which is a castle way out, out on the outskirts of Madrid. And it was pouring rain, and we saw the castle, and everything was fine. But then um, uh, we decided, uh, we had a friend from Madrid uh, with us who said, hey, you know, you can walk to the top of that mountain and see a great view of the castle. As a matter of fact, the king used to sit up there and watch his castle being built, you know, 500 years ago. Want to yeah. go? So we <laughs> bought rain slickers, and we, we walked 10 miles there and back, and we looked down at the castle. Was it and worth it? It was there? so worth it. We all said, and, and right to the end of the trip, and even when you're back here, every single one of them, to a person, says that was the best time on the whole trip. That sort of walking through the trees and... Um, just goofing off and being silly and, yeah. you know, a lot of laughs. Well, good luck tomorrow at your TED Talk. Thanks. We really appreciate you coming on today. So. My pleasure. I'm a bit nervous about tomorrow, but that'll just give me the energy to you'll be great. make a total idiot you'll, of myself. You'll do fine, I'm sure. So thank you so much for being on. You're welcome. Exposure. It was a pleasure. Thanks. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that? Smoking. Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. When you get up in the morning and turn on the radio, you don't want to hear those other guys talking on your way to work, do you? You don't want to hear talking. You want to hear music. So here at The Impact, we are making you a promise. We're calling it the More Music Mornings 89-Second Pledge. We, The Impact, pledge that every weekday morning from 8 to 10 a.m., we will shut up and play music. We pledge that we won't talk for more than 89 seconds at a time, meaning more music all morning long. We pledge that every caller who requests a song between 8 and 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, will be entered to win a great Impact prize. And we pledge that in return for your listening to us, we will listen to you and play more music that you want to hear. So tune into The Impact for more music mornings. Let us know what to play, and maybe you could win some cool stuff. Only here on 88.9 The Impact. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to Exposure. Emmanuel Barry here, subbing for Emily Fox. Uh, just talking to Carl Goode about TED Talks Detroit. I'd like to welcome our next guest now, 
who will be speaking to us via phone, uh, John Hill, head of the MSU Alumni Foundation, who will also be present at TEDx Detroit. Hello, welcome to the show, John. Hey, how you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing very well. You excited about going to TEDx Detroit tomorrow? Yeah, actually, uh, I'm part of the Michigan State University Alumni Association, and uh, we've got a bus of 40 folks who are going to TEDx Detroit coming down from Lansing, so... We'll have Wi-Fi. I'm sure we'll be tweeting away and uh, having a good time heading down to to see the good vibes down there. Excited to see Carl speak. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm speaking as well. So I'll uh, I'll be speaking in the back half. Carl and I both spoke at uh, TEDx Lansing. Uh, I was the opening speaker, and Carl was uh, in the second shift. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I I love watching him speak. You can tell he's a character. He's a great guy. And uh, how he came off on radio, I'm, I'm sure he'll come off on stage. So what are you going to be talking about tomorrow at uh, TEDx? Well, one of the things that we're trying to do is figure out a way to mobilize the TED movement. So uh, TED revolves around technology, entertainment, and design, all key components to driving innovation and spurring uh, enterprising thought process. One of the things that kind of falls short right now is you go to one of these events, and I was at the original TEDx Detroit event, you get all jazzed up, and then you kind of drop. And uh, you stay connected with a few people, but the momentum kind of loses a little bit. So we're actually going to use LinkedIn to connect everybody in the room and then see what types of relationships it creates out of that and what kind of uh, conversations we can spur out of that to uh, you know, really push entrepreneurialism and intrapreneurialism uh, and, and, again, to spur innovation and, and, and really foster an enterprising thought process. So for those who don't know what LinkedIn is, what exactly uh, is it? Yeah, LinkedIn is a, uh, I call it a professional network uh, online, but it's uh, very similar to Facebook. Uh, it's just um, much more business-oriented. So there are about 85, there are about 80 million people who are on LinkedIn right now. Uh, there are about 133,000 Michigan State University alumni that have a profile on LinkedIn. Um, a ton of CEOs within the state of Michigan, a ton of uh, government workers. Um, it's essentially a way that you can connect with people for jobs and opportunities. So, like a, like you said, professional Facebook. Uh, do you use other interactive online tools or networks like Twitter, uh, for example, in addition? Yeah, I'm a, actually a very heavy user at Twitter. My uh, handle is MFUAAJOHN. Uh, my, uh, my approach on that is essentially to give career development information to people. And... Uh, I use that as part of my role at the institution, which is Director of Alumni Career Services. So you help alumni find jobs uh, all throughout uh, the United States, or do you try and focus in Michigan? No, I will uh, I will look anywhere, though. I love Michigan. So anytime I can keep a talented person within the state or re-recruit them back to the state, I'm going to do my darndest to make that happen. So do you give uh, lots of speeches with your job? Yeah, actually, uh, last year I gave about 150 speeches. Wow. And uh, I do that all over the country. I talk about how to take your online connections offline for career success, so how to utilize tools like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, identify people who might be able to help you out, and then mobilize them offline. So you're not nervous about speaking tomorrow? No, not really. Uh, this is <laughs> something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. So I think there are 1,100 people uh, who are speaking, if Carl's listening, maybe he'll get nervous, but no, I think I'll be all right. 
So do you, do you think it's essential for students who are looking for jobs to have a positive online presence for future employment? Yeah, the uh, irony of this conversation is I was just uh, talking to the International Business Student Organization about uh, how to utilize these tools to identify alumni who are outside of the country who might be able to help them with international jobs. Um, at this point, uh, you know, they, the traditional ways of finding a job that you used to see five and ten years ago are starting to go by the wayside. And if you're not uh, embracing uh, personal branding or utilizing online tools to connect with people, you're going to start falling a little bit further behind. So the traditional handing in your paper resume isn't really going to cut it anymore? I think it's still important. It's, uh, it showcases some of the um, transactional value that you bring. So the reve- revenues that you've generated, the efficiencies that you created, you know, all those numerical values that you attach on a resume. Um, but it's really one-dimensional. And if you look at how you can utilize a tool like LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook, you can start to do, uh, and again, what I was talking about, personal branding, you can showcase what you're interested in uh, and, uh, and add another dimension to who you are uh, when employers are looking for your information online to kind of uh, accentuate what you have on your resume. So do you think it's even more important for uh, students going into things like media to make sure they have an online presence than, say, someone going into... Uh, medicine or history? Yeah, well, I, I think there are some areas that are lagging behind on embracing social media to um, use for the job search or for career development. Uh, you know, I, I, I noticed that um, teachers are a very insular world, um, so they may not embrace that as much because they, they don't connect outside of that world as much as, say, somebody who's in business. Um, nurses, healthcare tend to be another area that I've seen that, and this is anecdotal, but um, aren't utilizing it as much for professional or career development. That being said, the folks that are in those industries that are utilizing it, I think are probably having the same success as anybody else. Okay. So one last question for you before uh, I let you go. I heard via tweet that you're wearing something special for your speech tomorrow. What will you be wearing? <laughs> well, one of the things that I'm known for uh, wearing uh, in, in the university and when I give speeches is a sweater vest. Uh, <laughs> that's essentially become part of my personal brand. So uh, I don't think it will surprise anybody to see me walk on stage tomorrow with a sweater vest. It would actually probably be more surprising if I didn't. <laughs> well, hopefully you look sharp tomorrow in your sweater vest giving your speech, and I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Good luck to you guys. Yep, you have a good one. Take care. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For the Michigan Storytelling segment, I'm Max Katsarellis, reading Why Detroit? Detroit's dead. The old Detroit, that is. Sure, there's still parts of old Detroit that live on, like Hart Plaza, Greek Town, and Eastern Market. But the Detroit old Detroiters once knew is gone. Their neighborhoods aren't so wonderful. Local grocers don't exist. Downtown? More like a ghost town. Quaint trolleys meandering across the city? <laughs> Those days were over 50 years ago. Detroit will never be that city again. Instead of trying to reclaim and recreate the past, Detroit has a unique opportunity. It can redefine and recreate the future of major American cities. The city's trying. There are attempts at urban farming, 
there's makeloveland.com, where people can buy Detroit property online by the square inch and then decide how to use the space. Maker City Fair was just held celebrating creators and inventors from across the country. Detroit may be downsizing and tearing down abandoned neighborhoods, but it is growing in ideas and ingenuity. I want to know why the people running the city want to make it like old Detroit. Why does Detroit need to be like other major cities? More importantly, how is a major city even defined? Dirt, crime, and tall buildings? Cramped sidewalks, traffic delays, subways, and taxis? Major cities typically have a population of 100,000 people or more. They tend to be big and overwhelming. They're filled with the rich and poor, people without homes, and people from all over the world. There was an article in the New York Times about the city of Maywood in California. It may not be a major hub per se, but is handling problems in a novel way for a city. Outsourcing. Budget gaps and little revenue led this small town to make a drastic, controversial change, which appears to be working. Detroit needs to do something drastic and controversial because the traditional approaches have failed over and over and over again. Change happens through quick, decisive action, not slow and tedious month-long city council voting. There's too much talk of this idea, that idea, or why someone's to blame for the city's faults. We can't make our schools better because of this guy. We can't rebuild the roads because of that lady. There's not enough action because all people do is talk, argue, and use the word can't. Maybe they should just ask for help. Detroit should let suburban cities buy burnt-out neighborhoods to redevelop for their own constituents' use. Think Camp Dearborn in Milford. In 1947, the city of Dearborn bought property in Milford. They developed into a gorgeous park with a beach and 18-hole golf course. Anyone can access this park, but unless you're a resident of Dearborn, you have to pay. Detroit should create a city-wide Wi-Fi network that's so stable, web startups would be dumb not to set up shop in downtown. The city could partner with a television network and start a reality show with the world's greatest urban planners as contestants, competing to create the most ingenious ways to save Detroit. The city should create an advertising campaign, touting itself as a city going extinct, so they can attract people to visit before it disappears. Michigan public schools should be required to take field trips to downtown Detroit. There's the DIA, Wayne State University, Fox Theater, and the Wright Museum of African American History, just to name a few. Downtown Detroit hotels should offer a free room to anyone from out of state for one night only. In exchange for what I assume would be a mass migration to the city, restaurants and businesses could siphon off a small percentage of their income to their hotels in return for the influx of visitors. What if Detroit erased the line between city and brand? From 1949 to 1961, General Motors hosted a Motorama every year in New York City, showcasing their latest cars. Detroit could be the first city ever to take a nationwide tour, and they, co- they could call it City-Rama. Featuring its greatest people and companies, City-Rama would tout the culture of Detroit through companies like BetterMaid, Hungry Howie's, or McClure's Pickles, people like Eminem, Aretha Franklin, or Jeff Daniels. It is about time Detroit recognizes its glory days are long faded away. Why does yesterday's Detroit continue to define the way people hope to shape Detroit in the future? That thinking doesn't work anymore. There's been enough talk. It's time to adapt. It's time to change. It's time to do. That was Max Corellis uh, with his essay, Up Next, Torch and Twang, here on The Impact. 
Emmanuel Berry here, subbing for Emily Fox. I'd like to thank all of our guests for coming on the show today and thank all of you for listening. Uh, but um, this is Emmanuel Berry signing off. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.